Carved away on the offside. Brawley will sprint back for two, surely. His fourth Test match hundred. He has lit up Emirates Old Trafford and the crowd are right into it. This is the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. We've been talking all series about how the contest has been a seesawing one, each way, that way. Today, unfortunately, was not one of those days. It was All England's Day. My name is Josh Shonafinger, and to recap it, I'm joined by Louis Cameron. Louis, what did you make of day two in Manchester? Let's make no bones about it. It was Australia's worst day of the Ashes so far. It was their worst day of the UK tour if you go right back to the World Test Championship final. Uh, things, you know, you just felt all day that Australia were going to come roaring back into it and it didn't happen like that. England slowly negotiated uh, their way into a position of power. Australia came hard at them. They went hard at Joe Root early in his innings. They went hard at Zach Crawley. They had a bit of bad luck uh, and things just kind of slowly and slowly drifted away from them and it was a triumph for baseball. I mean, this was fantastic batting. We'll get into exactly um, why I think it was such a triumph for the way they're playing. Um, but yeah, absolutely, the, this game is under England's control and you know, if the weather holds off, they're in the box seat to level this series and do what no team has done since 1936-7. Which is? Which is win the Ashes after you're 2-0 down. Australia began the day at 8 for 299 and they lost their captain. Pat comes off the very first ball of the day, caught it point, cover pointish off James Anderson. And from there, they got a few more runs. They got up to 317, but Chris Wokes took his fifth wicket, his first five wicket haul in Ashes. So well done to him. After that, it uh, looked pretty good start for Australia. Ben Duckett was out early to Mitchell Stark, a nice outswinger, caught the outside edge. But then after that, it was all England. A 100-run partnership between Zach Crawley and Moeen Ali. And then a 200-run partnership between Joe Root and Crawley got England into the lead. Zach Crawley eventually out for 189 of 182 deliveries. Joe Root himself got 84 of 95 and looked in great touch. Barely missed time to ball before being bowled by one that sort of rolled along the ground, which I'm sure we'll get to. And then it was Harry Brook and Ben Stokes who got England to the close at four for 300 and 84, a lead of 67 runs. It was all England, so where do we begin today's uh, review for Australia? Well, it's got to be overwhelmingly positive for England. So let's start with them, because I know Australian fans want to hear about Australia, and they probably want to hear about why things went so badly wrong for them today. But let's just start with England, because they were fantastic today, and Brendan McCullum, I've heard, doesn't like the term ball, that he thinks it's reductive. And today was an example of why he thinks it's reductive because it wasn't just all out slogging. Yes, they scored at seven and over during that middle session, but they had to really kind of grind their way through it. So they had to get the two wickets uh, cheaply to start with. They did that uh, despite Chris Wokes overstepping and they probably gave up an extra 15 runs um, in that final wicket partnership. But then it was quite difficult. You, you mentioned the, uh, the really nice outswinger from Stark off the top. He nicked off Ben Duckett and you kind of thought, well, the pitch did quite a bit the previous day when England were bowling and now all of a sudden Australia might be able to do the same thing. But what Moeen Ali and Zach Crawley did, despite offering a few chances and not always looking um, you know, 100%, was just slowly increase, turned up the dial really slowly. Mm. So um, Moeen Ali, yep, he looks scratchy early. Yep, Crawley looks scratchy early as well. They're only going at about two or three and over for the first 10 overs, but they slowly just got the momentum back on their terms and they took advantage of Australia as they bowled, uh, the more they bowled. And it set them up for that second session. So Moeen Ali gets out and then it just allows Joe Root, who comes in at 
two for 130. What a great platform for him. And at that point, they're already rolling. So Moen's kind of got the ball rolling. Um, Zach Crawley's just, you know, playing ridiculous cover drives. He's hitting French cuts past his stumps and then in the same breath, uh, he's, you know, pogoing sixes over <laughs> mid-wicket. Um, it was brilliant batting and Australia went really hard at them in that bit. They recognised that getting Joe Root out was really important uh, and they might have almost neglected to uh, Zach Crawley at the other end because it's kind of hard to put um, that much attention on both mm. batters. But So that was the madcap kind of baseball session. Then later in the day, uh, Hazelwood got Joe Root with that ball that rolled along the ground. We were kind of talking about the Greg Blewett ball from Kurtley Ambrose at the Wacker um, that was it was kind of reminiscent of. And Crawley also finally got out for 189 uh, to one that kept a bit lower, Cameron Green, a, a bouncer. Uh, and then Harry Brook. So we're kind of thinking, well, they've this is a guy with the highest strike rate in test history. He's going to go nuts in this final session. Australia are a bit tired. They looked rattled. Um, 14 off 41 balls. That's not how Harry Brook normally plays. He kind of saw it saw it off. I reckon he is thinking about tomorrow and reloading. Uh, and Ben Stokes, slightly more aggressive, 24 off 37. But it wasn't just all out slogging all day. It was uh, a madcap session bookended by some really watchful cricket. Uh, and that's almost the perfect kind of day that I reckon Brendan McCullum wants him to play. I've got some stats to back up your point there, Lou. Before lunch, they were 1 for 61 of 16 overs, so that's a run rate of 3.8. During that middle session where Crawley scored 100 runs off his own bat, they scored 1 for 178 at a run rate of 7.12. And then in that evening session, they scored 2 for 145 of 31 overs at a run rate of 4.68. And I agree with what you said, like... Even though they scored so quickly during that middle session, how many shots were actually audacious and outrageous? There weren't a whole lot. There were traditional cover drives and straight drives. We saw a lot of those. And then when they went for the short stuff, bounce, ploy, um, there were lots of pull shots that evaded the fielders on the rope too. It's a really good point. And you think even when they went short, they weren't hitting sixes over the fielder's no. head. So Root did it. Root batted so well. And he. it was really interesting to see how he set up uh, for the short ball. So he knew it was like they were waiting in the car park with baseball bats for him <laughs> and he'd brought, you know, something. He brought like a machine gun with him because he was had changed how he was batting against short ball. So he knew that this was going to come. Uh, he was standing outside leg stump basically and as soon as he saw the field, he said, right, well, I'm going to set up for this tactic that I knew uh, they're going to bowl that I've been practising this week. I haven't seen him in the nets in the lead-in but he's obviously faced a lot of it and changed how he plays that style of bowling. Um, and he was just bisecting the three or four mm. guys out on the boundary with ease. Uh, and even this, the shot that I just loved was, um, so that kind of staying leg side of the ball and he, Hazelwood, I think, bowled one, um, you know, kind of hip high, not that short. And he just leant back and donked it through, um, through third man. And then later in the day, we kind of saw the reverse ramps and the stuff that really grabs the headlines. But that, you know, that kind of took the momentum from Australia and just allowed England to go in their merry way. It, well, it was a baseball setup, wasn't it? I mean, we saw on the broadcast they did a freeze frame, and during his stance, his bat is already up at his shoulder, uh, predicting that short ball. And the Yorker never came for Australia, which was what the commentators were saying they should try and exploit this new setup of route. They didn't have, actually ever go for the Yorker. And uh, so there are a few things as well, right? So with the tactics, I like that they had a plan for him and they committed 100% to that tactic. I personally think it was probably the wrong one. Like, I think on this wicket, I know it didn't do as much as it did yesterday, but on this wicket, I reckon, yep, the odd bouncer, definitely throw it in there. Yep, maybe have two men back for that. 
But I want, I want to see him pitch him up. Mm. The way Mitchell Stark was moving it early on, the way Pat Cummins can move it uh, off the seam, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more um, in his half of the wicket. I think with Zach Crawley, once he kind of got away, uh, after the drinks break uh, during the second session, they kind of had a bit, bit of a huddle and you, clearly there were some talk about what they were going to do. But then they were changing the plans very often and that's when it looked like the wheels kind of came off for Australia. So um, the one thing you can, I guess, that I reckon they would stand by is having a plan, you know, whether it came, comes off or not, whether it was the right plan or not, let's judge on that later. But not committing to something straight away, I think, is slightly more frustrating. I reckon that, that'll that be the mm. bit they look back on as going, what were we doing in that situation? What, why didn't we have a, a clear plan for Crawley once he got going? Do we need to give England more credit for how well they bowled yesterday now after seeing how Australia went today? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, and we spoke about that yesterday. I mean, the way that they wrangled out a lot of Australian batters once they'd gotten mm. set... Um, was fantastic. They did probably have the conditions slightly more in their favour, I should say. Um, but absolutely, they've they've outplayed Australia in this game so far. All right, Josh, we're going to do it slightly differently today because I know you've got a moment of the day, uh, which is brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, official airline of the Australian cricket team and proudly representing Australia on the world stage, flying to more than, guess, how many destinations? It's 95 destinations. 95 destinations. Not quite 100, but they might get there soon. Josh, what was your moment of the day? Uh, well, thank you, Lou. That was a great read from you. And my moment of the day was, well, and we've mentioned it briefly already, Joe Root, reverse ramp for six. <laughs> Wondered how long it would be. Wondered how long it would be before he plays that. He chooses his moments. And there was an opportunity there, and he nailed it. 2.17 for two. It was off Mitch Marsh, who surprisingly we didn't see introduced until the 36th over of the innings, despite him getting Zach Crawley out twice in Headingley. However, in Marsh's second over, Root liked what he saw, and it was just a good length delivery, outside off, exactly what Root wanted, got into position and flapped him over the top of the slips for that trademark shot now for Jared. Who would have thought this would be Jared's trademark shot 12 months ago? But now he pulled it off fantastically and it was just, it epitomised his innings as well because he barely missed time to ball and even this, the hardest shot in the book, well, is it even in the book? But it's, a, a good point. <laughs> it's the hardest shot there is and he's nailed it over the slips. And, uh, you know, to counter that with almost the anti-moment of the day, why didn't Mitch Marsh bowl to Zach yeah. Crawley earlier? And sorry to bring it down off the, you know, that beautiful Qantas setup and everything <laughs> like that. But we've got to ask... Uh, Mitchell Marsh got Zach Crawley out twice at Headingley and Mitch Marsh bowled really well at Headingley in conditions that has suited him. He doesn't quite have the pace that he used to when he first came into the Australian team but he's got really good control and he's got a really nice little outswinger mm. and I think he stands a seam up. Um, probably swings the ball probably more consistently than any of the other Australian bowlers in this team. Just offers him a nice point of difference. I really would have loved to have seen him in that first session, probably coming on second change instead of Cameron Green, who I think is an excellent bowler. Like I've said many times in this podcast, what a big fan of him. But I think in those conditions, someone who just nips it a little bit, that's when you needed to bowl him, especially to Crawley. He was on 112 by the time he got there. If I'm Crawley, I'm like, I don't want to face a bloke who just nicked me off twice. Uh, two weeks ago so I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity and yeah I mean is that our segue into some of Australia's tactics that we we should talk about well yeah let's get into that there were some curious decisions I suppose today Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood took the new ball and they both bowled quite long opening spells considering what we've seen from them in the past I think they both bowled six overs off the top and then it was Pat Cummins who took the 
ball as first change bowler, and we haven't seen him do that at all this series. In every single test inning so far, he's bowled either one or two. Um, so that was an interesting way to start for Australia. Yeah, and he took the ball. He came in quite late. It wasn't just the fact he didn't take the new ball. Like, I actually didn't mind that. I thought Hazelwood and Stark actually bowled really well for yep. the first three or four overs of their spell. But maybe Hazelwood bowled one too many. Um, you know, we're, we're really focusing on, on a small moment of the day, but I think that new ball period was crucial because yeah. if they'd gotten a few more wickets there, it would have brought in the likes of Brook and even Root in a bit earlier. Um, I mean, it was a really tough day for, for Pat Cummins. We've got to touch on that. I mean, out on the first ball of the day, uh, going at nearly six and over with the ball uh, and three chances in the field. So the, there were two off Moe and Ali, one where he kind of ran to his left uh, when he was expecting... He was, thought it would go quite square because it was a pull shot off Travis head it ended up going maybe a meter or two to the right of where he's initially standing and he couldn't mm. make up the ground then he actually did drop another one that was you know it was yeah he had to move he had to dive a little bit but it was a catch he should take didn't matter too much because Moen was on 53 when he got dropped he was on 54 when he got out so uh, he was almost just like hitting catches at that point <laughs> uh, we should say it was McQuaid to a good catch to get rid of him this time on oh, Taken that beautifully, Kawaja at mid-wicket. That one for Molinelli was out of the middle. And yet Kawaja takes a ripper of a catch in exactly the same spot where Cummins put one down last over. Brilliantly taken from Usman Kawaja. That was a really good catch there from Usman Kawaja. Things not going Australia's way. The Mitchell Stark pulls the short one to Moin Ali. Moin Ali taking full toll of it, but finding the man with a really good catch there by Usman Kwaja, diving to his right. Uh, but the one that might end up being costly, it was late in the day. A lot going on in Pat Cummins' mind. He's been dealing with field changes. He's had Steve Smith coming up to him after every over. And, um, you know, that's, that's you know, just lots of information being fed into him. And he's having to output this information to his bowlers and to himself in a coherent way. Uh, and then Stokes, very early in his innings, just on seven, hits one straight to him. He runs. Cummins picks up cleanly, doesn't hit the stumps. If he'd hit, it, it would have been, you know, good night to, to Ben Stokes. And we know what Ben Stokes can do with the bat. So I think every run that he scores, I think Pat Cummins will be watching with a little bit more uh, angst than he would otherwise, although he might have a bit of angst to think about. Regardless. Even, regardless, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Stokes was on eight at the time. And he's now on 24, not out at the close. Maybe should we give a bit of credit as well to Moen Ali? He said during the week that he only needed to, in the remaining four innings, he only needed to come off once. And today he did. He scored 54 off 82 balls. As you said, there were times where he looked scratchy. There were times where he looked uncomfortable. But he's done his job. He hit seven fours and a couple of really gorgeous cover drives as well off the quick bowlers. And even though he couldn't press on like all the Aussie batters, he's done his job and he's got England off to a really good start in their innings. Yeah, he can kick them over the next three innings because he's you know, said that he was going to come off one in four goes and that was the coming off, I'd say. Unless he's got something even bigger, if he's got a 150 or something at the Oval, I don't know if he'll be needed to bat again because you know I think this is England's... Um, if England have their way, uh, they're just going to bat once, bat big. Uh, and the, with the rain forecast, I think that's a, a pretty solid plan. The other one we should mention was just Mitchell Stark yeah. late in the day, bit of an injury worry uh, that's been um, that was raised to Dan Vittori at the press conference. Uh, maybe let's just hear from him first. Um, I think legs good, no no issues there. I think shoulder obviously saw what happened in the field. He's currently got some ice on it. I'm pretty confident that'll be right tomorrow. Um, he's just one of those guys who doesn't like to spend too much time off the park, so he wanted to get on on the field as quickly as possible to see 
um, how it was, but he, he got straight into a hot spot. And I think three balls in a row got to him. Um, he didn't quite feel comfortable throwing it. That's I haven't actually spoken to him, but that's what it looked like. Um, but I think we're all pretty confident that he can bounce back tomorrow. So, yeah, so Stark hurt his shoulder in the final session. It looked like he was carrying a bit of a left leg issue earlier in the day, but the one that kind of raised the most concern was when he dived on his shoulder and um, and it looked like he was in a bit of pain. Eventually he did go off the field, uh, even though it looked like he wanted to stay out there. Uh, he went off, he came back on, and then he went off again. So just the whole that whole process was uh, something... Uh, to worry a bit about and you know it's going to put a cloud over him even if he is okay here um, you know how he pulls up in the morning to um, to bowl the rest of this game and going forward to the oval that's just something we're gonna have to watch definitely not what Australia need after the loss of Nathan Lyon earlier in the series Stark is actually the leading wicket taker for Australia in the Ashes now with 15 wickets after missing Birmingham he's bowled sensationally so far in this series so that's a big loss for Australia if it is the case fingers crossed that we get some good news tomorrow on Stark's front Uh, this has been The Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, and we'll catch you all tomorrow.